Welcome to Chapter 43 of the Kinsman Die Podcast, home of fantasy fiction based on Norse mythology that's written and read by me, Matt Bishop. In this podcast, I read my first novel, Kinsman Die, one chapter at a time. And with each episode, when it makes sense, I provide some commentary about the source materials I've referenced in the text. In Chapter 39, we were with the Jotun warband, Helveg, as it descended into a huge cave beneath, or within, a glacier. Using a device that looks like a divining rod, they found a doorway to another place. Vathrunir went through it, and stayed there on the other side. In chapter 40, we were with Frigg, who tended to her wounded husband, Odin, after he sought counsel with the taciturn Norns, and then fought a mysterious water spirit. This was the preamble to the council of the Asir at Ithaval, and there were a lot of white moths fluttering around. In chapter 41, we were with Odin at the council. Everyone ate the magical fruits, and the more they ate, the more um, they got younger. But Odin and Frigg only ate half of their fruits, while Odin dropped one into a bag and sent Geri, his wolf, away with it. Ignoring all the white moths, the council discussed Baldur's dreams, which were the reason that Odin was summoned back in the first place by his wife Frigg. Odin said he would figure out what was going on without giving really any specifics as to how he would do that. They also discussed the attack on Halls, the Hows and the Wise, but nobody really could figure out why the Jotun would attack at this point in time. We did learn a little bit more about the world and how much Odin hates the Jotun, and they next discussed the broken, scorched device that Vidar had been working on. They thought it was maybe that device that prompted the attack. In chapter 42, we were with Loki. Turns out he's been around since Odin descended alongside Yggdrasil to Ithaval. Loki left the council in moth form, then he transformed into an owl, and then he passed through a doorway, which was a pool of water, on one of Yggdrasil's branches, and reached Utgard. He then paused to think a bit, and then went to meet with the Skrymir of the Jotun. And as a reminder, Loki's two sons, Vali and Narfi, are with Helveg. Loki watched the work occurring, which involved sleeping Jotun being dragged out of the frozen lake and brought into the nearby cave. He then saw many Jotun in a huge cave far below Utgard, just kind of hanging out and waiting for orders. We learned also about Loki's nefarious plan, which is to murder Baldur, or at least that's half of it. We still don't know quite why he wants to do that, but it sounds like revenge. Loki expected the Skrymir to say that the Jotun would not attack when they promised on Midwinter, which kind of ruined Loki's plans because he wanted to escape in the confusion. But he did not expect the Skrymir to ask him to go ahead and proceed with Baldur's murder on Midwinter, which would also ruin Loki's plan because, as Odin says in the Havamal, only the live man catches the cow. This week, we're back with Odin, so let's get to it. Chapter 43. Odin. Odin kept his expression stony. Frigg was right. They would have to deal with Sagland. The man stood there respectfully enough. They were in Gladsheim's main hall, but his every response was contradictory. No battle does that, Odin repeated, his words clipped. Something the Einherar have seen too little of these past winters. With respect, Sigfather, we haven't been at war since long before you left. Saglin said. The ongoing training is critical to maintaining the Einherar's fighting edge. 
Every warrior fights every day. They feast and rest at night, then rise and do it all over again. And if I may, they fought well when they faced your son with you. Fair enough. But how would they have done without my charm to bolster them? They would have held, Sigfather, or fought and died. All through this long piece I've had them training with your bearsarks, as you ordered before you left. They have a sense for how to stand against foes with superior strength. Odin thumped his chair. That's exactly what I'm saying, Sagland. Having a sense of it is vastly different than living it. Say this skirmish in Vithi blossoms into the bloody flower of war. Are you telling me that all the Ain Harar stand ready? I believe they do, Sigfather, despite the ongoing peace. Odin gritted his teeth. All this talk of peace and training. Ain Harar were born in battle, tempered in blood. Here, sir, do you remember how the Ain Harar came to be? Of course, Sigfather. How many warriors now join the Ain Harar each year? About three dozen, give or take. That rivals the number I added to the original Ain Harar during the entire First Jotun War, which lasted nearly ten winters. With respect, Sigfather, those who try to join the Ain Harar are already among the very best warriors in Asgard. I take only the very best of those. Becoming an Ain Harar isn't about being the best, he said, staring evenly at Sagland. Training and practice cannot prepare anyone for that moment when they must choose to keep fighting, standing alone above the bodies of their fallen shieldmates, and holding off an enemy wild to exploit the opportunity, as you well know. During the last war, Saglin had earned his place among the Ain Harar by standing beside Baldur and holding the old bridge after Hodor had been blinded, while he himself was badly wounded. The Ain Harar are the spear's blade. Me, my sons, and my bearsarks are at the very point, he continued. Yes, the Ain Harar kept my son at bay, and yes, maybe they are good with weapons and keeping formations, but do they have what it takes here? He tapped his chest. Saglin nodded immediately. Sigfather, I ask that when time permits, you watch the Ain Harar drill at any of the three compounds inside the walls. Or elsewhere. They will impress you, I promise. Was Saglin oblivious to his point, willfully or otherwise? Either way, this wasn't how he remembered the man. But the warrior before him was twenty winters older, grayer, and stouter. For himself, the time had passed like a pair of heartbeats. Less, even, after eating Yggdrasil's fruit. The hall's side door creaked. White-haired Fimafeng shuffled in. Even a well-kept sword will turn in the hand if it's disused, Odin said, his voice even. He thumped the arms of a chair and stood. Here, sir, you will prepare the plans for the Einhar to join the army on regular patrols of our border with Utgard. I will review them tomorrow. Very good, Sigfather. Sagland clearly understood that the meeting was over. And if I may, please convey my best respects to the Allmother. Of course. Thank you, Herr Sir. Odin gestured for the waiting Fimafeng to approach as Sagland left. Your pardon, O oh Father, but the envoy sent a runner with his deepest regrets. He will be late for his audience with you and the Allmother. Did you hear that, Frigg? Of course, I heard all of it. Frigg stepped out from the darkness behind the platform, screened by hangings from the hall's main area. What reason did he give, Femafeng? Only that his own daily communication with the Scrymere was delayed. 
He is waiting to make sure that he has the most current information. Fair enough, she said. Femifeng, Herr Sir Saglin was... Your last obligation of the day, all mother, until evening, of course. So we have plenty of time to accommodate him, Frigg said. Please tell the envoy we excuse this imposition on our time, and that we expect him to present himself when he does receive word from the Skrymir. Yes, all mother. Femifeng bowed, took a step back, then made his slow way back to the side door. When the door had closed, Odin turned to her and said, You're too lax with these Jotun. She shrugged. What would we have gained by making him come now? We still would have had to wait while he hurried here. When he arrived, he would have been annoyed and claimed that he couldn't answer because he hadn't spoken with the Skrymir, which would further annoy us. She smiled an overly bright smile. And just think, we now have plenty of time to talk about that idiot who just left. Femifeng, he gave her a teasing smile. Very funny. I meant your Einherar Hersir. She settled into her chair. I know, he said. Sagland had grown too confident in his role, evidently forgetting the Einherar Hersir served the Sigfather. You made him Hersir, what, two winters before you left? Without you here, he realized if he did whatever he wanted, no one could stop him. Not completely, at least. I made him stumble as much as I could, though. That doesn't sound like the man I promoted, he said, sitting beside her. Her dark-eyed gaze, warm though it was, seemed to suggest that the gladsame to which he'd returned was a great deal different now. He rubbed his face and sighed. He did not want another argument. All right, Frigg. Your thoughts on Sagland? Remove him from command, she said at once. Just like that, eh? I am concerned about how the ranks have swelled, but I'm not sure that warrants his removal. What use is a quiver of warped arrows? He looked at her sharply. Have you noticed how young most of the Ainherar are? He pursed his lips and thought back to the column of warriors he led to Vithy. I'd assume they were relatively young based on what Gulfin told me. The Octomer of the column I led to Vithy were older, experienced. Yes, and most in their last winters of service, I'm sure, she said. Gulfin told you about the testing the warriors go through to become Einherar? He nodded. He said that Zaglin was recruiting from the army. What are you getting at? That as of maybe twelve winters ago, most new Einherar are the same age as children fresh from service in their garrisons. In many cases, Saglins swelled the Einherar's ranks at the expense of the army. That's not what Gulfin had told him. Before you get upset, Gulfin didn't know. Most don't. Except for Tyr and Uller, of course. They told me. So what are you telling me, Frigg? I've already decided that these new Einherar don't deserve the distinction. She shifted in her chair and leaned forward. That's the least of it. We're looking at a generation of warriors, of Einherar, who are personally loyal to Sagland, not to the Sigfather. He snorted. That won't last long. Odin, Sagland's established sixteen garrisons around Asgard, four within Gladsheim's walls alone, with one hundred Einherar per garrison. That's more than ten times larger than when I left. She thumped the arm of her chair, and that's not even counting all the support staff. Cooks, grooms, blacksmiths, armorers, and all the rest. You see the problem. What he didn't see was how this could have happened. How did he grow the ranks so swiftly? She laughed. It's your fault, Odin. 
What? You gave the Ain Harar Hersir direct access to collected tariffs. Not only has trade with the Vanir and the Alvar continued to grow, but dozens of new towns have sprung up along the road to Ifington, along the Silfer, downstream, and even upstream to the summer pastures near the Franinger. Trade with the Jotun is also surprisingly strong. But they have nothing of... Not true, she raised a hand and began ticking off the key products. Ivory and bone, pelts and leathers, gems, and what goes into Utgard. Mostly food and drink. He shook his head. That is not good. And here I thought Balder had convinced you to give the Jotun a chance, she said with a faint smile. We can discuss that later. For now, let's stick to the Aenorar. All right. So Saglin's access to gold allowed him to swell the ranks and build all those garrisons. His unrestricted access, yes. Obviously, I stopped it when I became aware of it, but by then he'd amassed quite the stockpile. In a way, I understand how it started. Without a war, the Einherar ranks would dwindle. That's exactly what I intended, Odin said. The Einherar were meant to exemplify the very best qualities of our warriors. Just knowing how to swing a sword and hold a shield isn't the point. I know that, she said. But you put an ambitious man in charge of a powerful organization. He made it bigger and, in his mind, better. I don't think his intent was or is malicious. I just think it's become more than it needs to be. Far more. I've hampered most of his plans, and now that you're back, we can finish it. And you've done what so far? She smiled. I declared all land property of Gladsheim. All land everywhere. Anyone who wants to use land for any reason, a new town, a road, a wall, an Einherar garrison, must get my approval first, or yours, of course, and then pay us. He couldn't help but smile back. Bold, clever. How do you enforce it? Tyr and Ullr? Yes, and Heimdall when he's sober. Your bearsarks have helped too, though only Rata and Gulfin are here in Gladsheim. Even so, can I assume that Zaglans still increase the number of Einherar? Yes, but it's slowed. He can't claim more recruits than he does already, since that would pit him directly against Tyr and Ullr. And he doesn't want that. He glanced out into the shadowy hall, lit only by what sunlight streamed through the gap between the two roofs. Clearly, he had to rein in the Einherar, and the Asir needed to expand their borders. The solution was obvious. So you heard me order Saglin to have the Einherar join the army in patrolling our border with Utgard? Yes. Based on what you've told me, I'll place those Einherar under the direct command of Tyr and Ullr. She sat back. That, that won't sit well with Sagland. No, it won't, but the Einherar are mine. The sooner Sagland recalls that, the better. Beyond that, I'll order some of the Einherar garrisons closed down and those warbands will be sent out into the wilderness from which I've just returned. Under whose command? You think they're not loyal? She shrugged. I don't know, Odin, but I think it makes sense to be selective about those we do send. An ill thought that was. Disloyal Einherar. Agreed. And you'll replace Sackland? Why bother? He won't live forever. He shrugged. And I'd rather have him where I can see him. Maybe, but as Hairseer, he could still drag his heels, take months to prepare or brief subordinates, hamper supplies and preparations, anything to delay. Probably in the expectation that you're likely to soon leave Gladsheim again. He'll just wait you out. 
He wagged a finger at her, trying to keep the gesture playful. Now, now, let's keep this friendly. She went along with it, answering with a wicked grin. There is precedent. Fair point. Barring me leading a warband into the wilds, I really don't think it makes sense to remove Sagland. I hear what you're saying, but I'll keep an eye on him. It's not as easy as that, believe me. We may keep ourselves young, but I think we miss how important the little things are. The lives of those around us go by so quickly. Now that was an interesting way to put it. And how did those ruled see their rulers? We must seem as constant as rocks in a fast-flowing river. Well, folks, that was chapter 43 of Kinsman Die. I hope you enjoyed it. There was a bit of payoff in this chapter as Odin confronts the Hairseer, Sagland, and that term, remember, just means general, basically. We get a little detail on why Odin created the Einherjar and what it means to be one, as well as how Sagland turned the Einherjar into his own thing. And soon, Odin and Frigg will speak with the Jotun envoy about the attack on Halls. The Einherjar in my series are living men and women who distinguish themselves in battle. In Norse myth, the Einherjar are dead warriors who are chosen by the Valkyrie, the Valkyr, and brought to Valhall. Both in my series and in myth, the Einherjar train all day and feast at night. The major difference is that mortals train without killing each other. While in the myth, the Einherjar are dead and they train to die again. They kill each other and then they rise again, feast, and do it all over again. If there's one thing to keep in mind when listening or reading, it's that my Asir, Vanir, and Jotun are not yet the beings we know about from Norse myth. Part of creating the series involved creating an arc for each of these characters, with my main assumption being that we know how they end up, but we don't know how they got there. So that's what I've created, that arc. Next week, we're back with Frigg as this conversation gets a little heated. Until then, if you have the time and inclination, please rate or review the podcast. That helps boost the show's visibility as does sharing it. And if you're so inclined, shoot me an email at mattbishopwrites at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. As always, I'm going to read from both the Bellows and Larrington translations of the Havamal, the sayings of the High One Odin himself. Bellows, verse 43. To his friend, a man a friend shall prove. To him and the friend of his friend. But never a man shall friendship make with one of his foeman's friends. Larrington, verse 43. To his friend, a man should be a friend, and to his friend's friend, too. But no man should be a friend to the friend of his enemy. And that was way too many instances of the word friend. Also, no cows were caught or harmed during the recording of this episode. Thanks for listening.